Well, grace and peace to you this morning. Um, While I was doing some reading and having some silent time to myself, I came across this psalm, Psalm 122, which says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord, as the law requires. Psalm 122 is a song for pilgrims as they ascended up to Jerusalem. And I realize that this place is not Jerusalem, and I realize that we are not the Israelites. But when I was reading this this morning, um, I realized that I had a sense of peace this morning as I was preparing for worship, as I was coming into church. And sometimes when I come to church, I I have this sense of peace because I'm excited about gathering in the house of God and being with God's people. So if that was you this morning and and you found yourself in peace this morning, welcome, I am glad you are here. But if, if that wasn't you this morning and you didn't find yourself at peace when you got up and the car ride to church this morning was anything but peaceful, my prayer for you this morning is that through worship, as you open yourself to God and to Christ and the Holy Spirit's movement this morning, that today you would find peace here. That this would be a place for peace for you. Will you join me in prayer? Holy God, we thank you for this place where we can gather and worship your name. God, we invite you into our lives. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be in this place. That as we worship you today, we would come to experience you and to know you. Fill our lives with your love. It's through Christ that we pray and the people of God said, amen. In 1916, Robert Frost published the poem, The Road Not Taken, as the first poem in a collection of works um, entitled Mountain Interval. And his poem begins like this. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. My oldest son, Jacob, has a favorite joke that he likes to tell. It goes something like this. Why is turning right always the right way to go? Because it's right. My dad, equally as prophetic, has often said to me, Tim, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. A couple of you heard that before. You had dads like me. Our choices matter. Right? Because our choices shape our lives. If you think about it, we make choices and then our choices turn around and they make us. When I was young, or when I was young my family took a trip to Lake Michigan um, to this new campground we'd never been to before. My parents were performers. Um, they were folk musicians on the summertime when I was young. And um, so we went to this uh, campground on Lake Michigan. And my brothers and I found ourselves walking down this long wooden staircase down to the beach to go swimming as my parents set up and performed their show. Um, We spent what seemed like hours wrestling, fighting the waves, and swimming. And we were completely exhausted and hungry. We we got out of the water and and we looked around and our towels and our shoes were, were nowhere to be found. Right? And, and we looked up and down the beach and we couldn't see our stuff anywhere, nor could we see the single staircase that led back to the campground where my parents were performing. And so, as fear began to set in, we did what kids do. Um, we started arguing, right? The stairway has to be this way, one of my brothers said. No, no, it's, it's this way, the other said. 
and we started to argue. And it ran on for a while, but I was convinced that I knew the right way to go. I want you to hear that. I was convinced that I knew the right way to go, and I tried to tell my brothers about that right way. But the ultimatum came, Tim, we're going this way. You can choose to go with us or not. So full of pride and committed to being right, I found myself walking down the beach alone. I remember being confident in my decision for a while, right, for a while. But as the beach transitioned into waterfront house properties, fear began to creep into my mind. And you may ask, Tim, why not just turn back? But here's the thing, I did. I did turn back. As confident as I was about being right, I would rather have been wrong and with my brothers than right and show up to the campground without my brothers. Right? So I did. I turned back and I ran in the other direction. But then my pride kicked in and I got angry at my brothers because I was right and they should have listened to me. Good riddance, I said. And so I turned back around again. I'm set out on going my own way because I knew, I knew that I was right. I knew that I was right. But I couldn't go back alone. And so I turned back again. And as I cried, turning back and forth on this sandy beach, I became even more confused. Having no idea which way I'd come from or which way I had been going. So I sat down. You see, all of the redirections had confused me. And I sat down on the beach by myself, and, I, I, and I, I decided, I said, okay, I'm going this way. And I went on. You see, we each make choices in life. Sometimes our choices are easy, right? It's turn left or turn right. Sometimes the choices get harder, and we have to face that lose-lose choice. And we have to choose between two bad options. Or sometimes the choices are hard because they're win-win. This choice is really good, and so is this one. What do I do? Our choices are so important that the Bible actually talks about choices quite a bit. Near the end of his life, Moses challenged his people this way. He said, today I have given you the choice between life and death between blessings and curses. Now I call upon heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Remember those red words, we're gonna read them out loud. The choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. As Joshua was an old man nearing death, he reminded the people of Israel of what God had done for them and then he encouraged them with these words. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live? But as for me and for my family, we will serve the Lord. Many years later, Elijah stood on top of Mount Carmel and dressed the people of Israel this way. How much longer will you waver, bobbing between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And finally, we had this solemn warning from Jesus Christ, our Lord, who says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, 
and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Each of us here today are on a journey, and that journey, is, it ends in either life or it ends in death. Jesus calls it a way, right? A way. He says that one way is wide and easy to travel. It's easy. The other way is narrow and more difficult. And Jesus is brutally honest with his teaching. Many choose the simpler way. Very few choose the more challenging way. And his teaching is simple. Make sure you're on the right road. You don't want to end up in a place you never intended to be. You don't want to end up wandering down a beach, lost, alone, and afraid. Which brings me back to this idea that our choices really do matter. Our choices really do matter because we make choices and then our choices turn around and they make us. And never is this more important than we face trials in our life, right? When troubles come, we quickly find out what we truly believe in. And this is what happened to Habakkuk. He is finding out what he truly believes in. God is bringing him to face, he's bringing him face to face with a choice he must make. And as we pick up the story in chapter 2, Habakkuk is waiting for an answer from God. God has given him some instructions. He tells him he needs to write and to wait. So let's start with this idea of writing. In the beginning of chapter 2, we find these words, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The Living Bible says it like this. He says, write my answer on a billboard, large and clear, so that anyone can read it at a glance and rush to tell others. You see, God wants to be very clear. He wants his message to be heard. He doesn't want it to be kept with just Habakkuk. It's not like he's giving him some secret message only for the prophet. No, this is a message for everyone. The second thing is to wait. And it goes on in verse 3. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will will surely take place. It will not be delayed. God may seem slow to act, but he is never late. He's never late. He's a punctual, on-time God. Have you ever found yourself praying for something really important, something big, epic in your life? And it seems like the answer never comes. Have you ever found yourself praying to God about something important and it seems like you have to wait and wait and wait and wait for an answer. It's at this point that many of us give up and slide into agnosticism and we cry out, where is God? God obviously can't hear me. Then, suddenly the answer comes. Have you ever experienced that? At the moment where you gave up, there it is. Why is it that that happens? I have an atheist uh, psychology major friend who um, told me, he said, Tim, the reason why this happens is because when you give up, your, your subconscious brain kicks in and it figures it out for you. But I think there's a truer answer to that. 
I believe that the truer answer is that God does not share God's glory with anyone else. And that may be coarse, and that may be hard to hear, but I believe that God does not share his glory with anyone. Sometimes God delays in answering so that we can't later say, well, it was my faith that made the difference. It's what I did that made the difference. No, because God is God and we are not. God answers in his own time and in his own way so that we always end up saying the same thing. To God alone be the glory. God is saying to Habakkuk, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but the answer to your prayer is on the way. Hold on, wait for it. It's coming. The Babylonians will be judged and they will be destroyed. You see, God always balances the scales of justice. It's, it's just that God doesn't work on our timetables. Sometimes God seems slow to respond but God, God does not forget. Remember this the next time that you find yourself waiting for an answer. Near the end of Johnny Cash's life, he sang a song called God's Gonna Cut You Down that really catches the spirit of Habakkuk too. This is how it goes. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go and tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him God's gonna cut him down. Tell him God's gonna cut him down. Now you've been be saying, come on, Tim. It's church. What are you doing? May not be the time and the place. But this song fits. It fits the spirit of what Habakkuk 2 is all about. And let me explain. Up until this point, up until this point, we have seen Habakkuk complain to God, saying, God, look at my people. Things are not right, not the way they're supposed to be. And God has replied to Habakkuk and said, you know what? You're going to be judged, and I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge you. And Habakkuk says, wait, no, that's not what I meant. You can't use the Babylonians to destroy us. That's not right. And so he builds a watchtower, and he waits to see what God is going to do. And God tells Habakkuk to write down his answer and to wait patiently. And the remainder of chapter 2 describes how God is going to one day cut down the Babylonians. The mighty emperor empire will be brought down and utterly destroyed. Remember that God always, always evens the scales of justice. And so God conveys this message of destruction by, through five woes. And taken together, they serve as an indictment against Babylon. But I personally believe that this, this, this indictment of Babylon is something that we need to hear today as well. Right? I believe that it's a warning to us as well in our current age. And I'll, I'll explain why. Babylon looks good in all its glory. Babylon looks good in all its glory. I want you to think about this for a minute. Ponder, if you will. Who calls Babylon evil? Who calls Babylon evil? Is it the Babylonians? No. Nobody thinks that they are evil when they're in the midst of living that. Right? It's usually history 
or the victim or God that declares something as evil. Babylon was a superpower, and for a moment in history, it was the superpower. Who doesn't want to play for the winning team? How many of you like it when your team loses? How many of you like it when your team wins? How many of you want to play for the winning team? Babylon looked good in all of its glory. But Babylon, while it was attractive to many, it was a series of choices that made Babylon what it was. Remember, our choices make us, or that we make turn around and make us. So we're going to jump into these five woes here quickly. The first woe that God gives Habakkuk about Babylon is this idea of extortion, and we find it in verse 6, which says, But soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You have become rich by extortion. But how much longer can this go on? Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all that you have while you stand trembling and helpless. This is a perfect description of Babylon because we know that Babylon, when it took a city, it took everything. It took gold, it took silver, it took livestock, anything of value they took. They grew rich over the misery of others. But God promised a day of judgment. So the first woe that God gives Habakkuk is this idea of extortion. But I wonder, does extortion still exist today? Do people still get rich from the abuse of others? If you're a business owner, do you offer your employees a livable wage? Or do your profit margins guide your benefits plan? Now, I'm not accusing anyone here of extortion. That's not my point. All I'm saying is that our choices matter. We make choices, and then our choices turn around, and they make us. Jesus said there are two ways, two paths that we can go down. Babylon chose, chose one path, the wide, the easy path. What path do you choose? The second woe that God gives Habakkuk is, is arrogance, and we find it in verse 9. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family nests, family's nest beyond the reach of danger. The very stones in the wall cry out against you, and the beams in the ceiling echo the complaint. Now, this is referring to the wall that surrounded the city of Babylon. You see, they built this huge wall around their city. It was a defensive thing, and in some areas, the wall was over 100 feet tall, and it spanned 40 miles to surround this giant city. The Babylonians thought they were invulnerable to attack. They believed no army could ever breach those fortifications. It was like Helm's Deep. How many nations have fallen? How many people have fallen because of their own arrogance? Arrogance was the second woe that God called the Babylonians out on. Look at what we have built. Will it save you? It's easy to allow arrogance to guide our choices. When we step back and then we look at all that we've accomplished, look at what we've accomplished as individuals, Look at what we've accomplished as a church. Look at what we've accomplished as a nation. But we miss the big picture, that there's something greater than ourselves. We confuse our purpose with our position. Our self-created status and position blinds us from reality. And such was the case with the Babylonians. 
Many years later, Belshazzar, everyone say Belshazzar. Belshazzar, who was the last king of Babylon, gave a great banquet, and it's, it's depicted in Daniel chapter 5. And what happens is Belshazzar, he, he, he orders that the cups, the gold and silver cups that were taken from Jerusalem when it was conquered, be brought out so they could be used for this party. And as they're drinking out of these gold and silver cups, the king, sitting on his throne, looks at the wall, and he sees a message written on the wall as though it was by a finger, right? It was Daniel who was exiled to Babylon during the fall, who was summoned to interpret the meaning of the message. And this is what Daniel 5 reports. This is the message that was written. Mena, mena, tekel, and parson. And this is what the words mean according to Daniel. Mena means numbered. And Daniel said, God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and has been given to the Medes and the Persians. That very night, King Belshazzar died, and the mighty empire fell. God works on God's own timetable. God always balances the scales of injustice. And I'm not accusing anyone here of arrogance. That's not my place. What I am saying is that our choices matter. We make choices, and then our choices turn around, and they make us. And Jesus said there are two paths. There are two ways that we can go down. Babylon chose one way, the broad and easy way. What choice and what way do you choose? The third woe that God gives to Habakkuk is that of bloodshed, and we find it in verse 12. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with the money gained through murder and corruption? In other words, God does not honor those who build an empire on bloodshed. Obviously, this applies to nations, to nations that use military might to conquer the weak and defenseless. But in the middle of these words of judgment comes a glimpse of a happier, better day. In verse 14, we find this. For as the waters fill the sea. I want you to focus with me for just a second. Okay, this is your redirect back here. I want you to visualize this because this is an important thing to see in your head. As the waters fill the sea. Can you picture that? As the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness, the glory of the Lord. It's as though God is pulling back the veil for a moment. And he's showing Habakkuk, saying, there is something greater that's coming. There is something greater that's coming for this earth. There's going to be a time when the earth is going to be consumed and full of the awareness of the glory of the Lord. Not with the knowledge of bloodshed, immorality, injustice, and greed. God is telling Habakkuk that someday the earth in which he lives, which by the way is the same earth that we live in today, will be filled with the knowledge and glory of the Lord. Literally, God is talking about our earth, our planet, not some fictitious future reality. The same earth that rejected Christ will one day be filled with the glory of God, and on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we're not there yet because the fourth woe that God gives to Habakkuk is that of immorality. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk. You force your cup on them so that you can gloat over their shamefulness. 
Immorality was prevalent in the Babylonian Empire. It was, immorality was, was found on the individual level, but it was also found on the, on, the, on the cultural level. But immorality is a word that doesn't often mean a lot to us today, so I did what any good person would do, and I looked into the thesaurus, thesaurus and I found a few other words for you. Wickedness, depravity, dishonesty, sin. Ooh, there's the big one. Sin. I'll be honest with you. In my 34 years of life, and I know I'm young, in my 34 years of life, I have come to realize that most people do not trip and fall into sinful behavior, into dishonesty, into wickedness, into immorality. Instead, it's only after a series of choices do we wake up one morning we go into the bathroom and we look into the mirror and we no longer recognize the person looking back at us. You see, an affair does not begin in a hotel room. It begins with the choice to stop communicating with a spouse. Embezzlement doesn't begin with a blank check. It begins with a choice to forego personal financial wisdom. Addiction does not begin with a blackout. It begins with the choice to try a little. I mean, a little can't hurt. Immorality, in fact, affects us all because the broad way, the broad way, the easy way is attractive. It's attractive. Babylon looks good in all of its glory. When it comes to immorality, our choices really do matter. We make choices, and our choices turn around, and they make us. But we have a great hope. We have a hope because Jesus told us that there's another way. Because there are two paths that we can take. Babylon shows one path, the broad and easy, but Jesus offers us another path. And yes, Jesus' way, Jesus' path is narrower. And yes, Jesus' way is harder. But it offers something else. It offers new life. It offers hope. It offers forgiveness. It offers mercy. It may be harder, but it offers us more. And we each get to choose our own path. The fifth and final woe that Habakkuk is told by God is that of idolatry. And it comes in verse 19. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stones, images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The fifth and final woe that God gives to Habakkuk about the Babylons is the worship of idols. These wooden, stone, and metal objects that the Babylonians worshipped, we don't worship them anymore in our culture. It's not the same for us anymore. But idols still do exist in our culture. They do. And for some, money has become an idol. For others, maybe, maybe status or position has become something that you worship. Work can be an idol. For some, family can even be an idol. Anything that you worship that comes before God in your life is an idol. But God's indictment of the Babylonians closes in this way. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. 
The verb that's translated into be silent is, it, it means this. Hush. Hush. What a fitting final word from God. It's as if God is saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, don't you get it now? I will judge Babylon in my own time and in my own way. Their downfall is certain because I have decreed it, so stop your complaining. I've given you my answer. I've given it to you. And in 605 B.C., Babylon looked amazing. And in less than a century later, the Babylonian Empire no longer existed. Habakkuk had a choice to make. Is he going to wait for God or not? Is he going to let God be God in this situation or not? Is he going to trust that God has a plan or not? Is he going to trust, trust God's way, even, even if he doesn't understand it, even if he doesn't like it or not? Is he going to let God be God or not? What choice is he going to make? For me, for me, the place that I think Habakkuk finds himself at this moment is a place of submission. That place where we find ourselves where we realize that we can't do it on our own and that we have to trust in something greater than ourselves. <clears throat> I walked down that beach for what felt like hours. Crying and going over to my head, I had to be right. The beach turned into waterfront properties. I was wrong. I had made the wrong choice. What was more is that I knew that I couldn't get back to my family on my own. I couldn't do it by myself. My choices had put me in a place where I was literally lost. As a 10-year-old child, I knew in my heart that I couldn't get back on my own. And so I walked up to a house where I heard people talking. And with tears in my eyes, I explained to them who I was, what had happened, and how I needed to help to get back to my family. I didn't know the name of the campground. I didn't know which way it was. I didn't even know how far down the beach I had traveled. But the man at the house, he knew the camp that I was talking about. And he drove me back and helped me get back to my family. A stranger I had never met. A person whose name I never knew. I only remember what he did for me that day. Maybe this is you today. And you find yourself lost not knowing which way to go. Or maybe your confidence in being right has led you, like me, to wander aimlessly down the beach. Maybe the choices of your past have plagued your present life. Or maybe you're stuck at the crossroad today with no idea which way to turn. Jesus once said, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. You see, the choices we make 
matter. The path we choose in life matters. Each of us must make our own decision about which path we're going to take. Those who line up with the cultural forces of today find themselves out of step with God's tomorrow. That's the whole point of Habakkuk 2. You can side with Babylon and win in the short run, or you can side with God and win eternally. Jesus said, the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few find it. I believe it's time to make our choice, because indecision is a choice too. Which path will you go down? Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken, closes with these words. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Will you pray with me? God of us all, we live in a world full of choices. From turn left to turn right, from yes to no, we make our choices and then our choices turn around and they make us. As we see the false glory of our modern day Babylons, assure our hearts as we rest in your promise that one day, one day, all of the earth will be filled with your glory. Today, Lord, we choose you. We choose your way because you first chose us. In these trying days, Help us to remain strong in our faith. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and all who agreed said, amen. Let's respond with a song. Would you stand with us?